Welcome to the Select Star Podcast, your resource for innovative technology, developer topics, and more. Here's your host, Margo McCabe from the HarperDB team. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Select Star Podcast, and thank you again for tuning in. Today, we are speaking with Max Howell, who is the CEO at T.XYZ, which we will learn a bit about today. So thank you, Max, for um, joining us. Uh, pleasure. Thank you for having me. And where are you calling in from today? Uh, actually, I live North Carolina in the Triangle area, despite my accent. I've been uh, an American in the States for 11 years. Okay. Nice. And where are you originally from? I grew up South London, uh, okay. England. I have to say England because I've discovered there's 17 Londons since leaving. <laughs> <laughs> I assume people still think of the main one, but who knows? <laughs> Almost certainly. Uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, before we get started, would love to just hear a little bit about you, um, sort of your background and, and journey and, and what you're working on now. Oh, sure. So uh, I did a chemistry degree <laughs> nice. back in the time um, when I was at, at school, like high school. I uh, remember not being 100% sure what I wanted to do with my life, but there was a career fair where I went around the room and talked to everybody and the people I was least impressed with were the developers, the programmers. <laughs> I, I came away thinking that they were incredibly geeky, too geeky, even though it appealed, you know, I felt, I felt the, the draw. Um, and uh, I'd been programming as a hobby up until that point. My dad taught me when I was six with, uh, we had this computer, which the BBC, the Broadcasting Corporation would provide called the BBC Micro. And it booted straight into a programming language, BBC Basic. So uh, it was incredibly easy to get started with it. Uh, I often feel that it's something which is kind of lacking, honestly, nowadays with computers and how people learn to program. Like it, it was kind of in your face back in the day. This was, you know, the early 90s. Right. Late 80s. And um, so I've been doing it as like a hobby. And in fact, like it was a hobby that I did a lot. Like uh, I remember there was a few years where I'd go to the library every lunch at school in order to program. Um, there was a bunch of us and we competed to like make cool programs and games and things. Um, so yeah, like, I wasn't impressed with the developers. Uh, you know, I was a teenager. I was influenced by uh, what it would look like to be a programmer. So I did my chemistry degree and uh, did all right, got a job. And I was about three months into the job when I realized that I hated it <laughs> and that I couldn't imagine spending my life doing this. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was quite different to uh, academic chemistry. I was using this one machine and I realized that I would be using that machine for like the next 10 years uh, <laughs> in order to like, advance my career to the next step. I was looking at all the people who've been there for 40 years and like they spent 10 years on each of these different machines working their way up. I was like, Oh my God. So I sort of got depressed, quit, moved back in with my parents and discovered Linux and open source. And, uh, started hacking on some apps and things. And 
the apps I was working on managed to get the attention of uh, the startup in London, fortunately, called Lost Femme, who invited me to work with them basically without really like they invited me for interview, but there was no, it wasn't an interview, you know, like <laughs> it was just like a job top. offer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, really lucky, and you know, that's how it worked out for me. So I uh, moved to London. You know, I was slightly outside of London at the point, and uh, started working there. And you know, I never, I didn't never have the correct qualifications or anything, but I managed to get the hang of it. And uh, the process of working there, I uh, created um, this tool called Homebrew, and uh, Homebrew is but today used by 50, 60 million people, uh, pr probably more, honestly. Uh, uh, certainly the amount of instances of it running uh, is insane considering the amount of automation that uses it as well. Uh, but this was 2009 and uh, it was a tool I needed to do the job I was doing there. And uh, so I, I made it and like, because I came from an open source background in programming, like, I immediately open sourced it. it just made sense to me that's that's how it worked things were more like that back then as well admittedly right so yeah and uh so i open sourced it in about six to nine months after i open sourced it it picked up a lot of steam and uh yeah over the years it just became this indispensable tool that it's rare now that you'll meet a developer that doesn't use it honestly yeah that's awesome and how do you think it how do you think the tool picked up so much traction I mean was there were you talking about it a lot like were you purposely trying to promote it or was it just very organic with people just being like oh this is really useful and just kind of word of mouth so open source is unique in that usually there, there isn't any opportunity for really evangelizing your own open source that you're making because you, you, you're spending your time working on that open source. Also, you're spending your time on a paid job. So I, I used to say that I had two full-time jobs because I had <laughs> right. my paid job and then I had maintaining homebrew, which easily was 10,000 hours of work over the, over the years. Uh, so you, you don't have time to evangelize it particularly, but I did do a couple of very key p pieces of evangelism during those early months where nobody knew about it. I uh, replied to Simon Willison's tweet. Simon Willison is still a fairly influential tech blogger and tweeter. Yeah. Uh, he appealed for someone to help him install some software on his Mac. And so I replied, it was on... It wasn't Stack Overflow, it was superuser.com, which is, you know, the Stack Overflow for not, you know, for people using computers in, in theory. Like, there's too many different Stack Overflows, in my opinion, but <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, you know, one of the others. And um, I wrote this really detailed response. And I don't know for sure if that was an influential moment or not, but I think so because it got a small amount of attention and before that it was mostly unknown project um and about a couple of weeks after that uh this guy who worked for 37 signals and they made ruby on rails uh tweeted that he was going to install the new version of macos that was coming out very soon it was leopard i think 10.5 
and he was going to use homebrew and uh, not Mac ports, which was the big competitor at the time. Mac ports uh, still exists. Um, just wasn't very. Like, I hate saying it, but it, it wasn't great, which is why I made homebrew, right? Like, <laughs> and so a lot of people felt that. Um, but also, it was really good timing. Like the Mac was just just becoming the the choice of platform for developers. Like, it's hard to believe now because it's, it's rare that you meet a developer that doesn't use a Mac and if they don't it'll be Linux and probably not Windows and it wasn't that long ago that Windows was the only platform that anyone used so Mac was becoming popular and so there wasn't great tooling there for it yet and here I was making something that people felt was great and I, I wrote it in Ruby and Ruby was becoming popular as well because of Ruby on Rails right so a lot of Ruby people like jumped in with both feet because they saw this opportunity to uh, get the tooling that they needed uh, in the language that they liked so much. And uh, also, um, I kind of gamified it in that uh, GitHub was extremely new. Like, I think GitHub had only been on the internet for maybe 18 months at that point. And fortunately, we'd started using GitHub very quickly at Last Femme, so I was familiar with it. And it, you know, it's hard to imagine now, but before GitHub, coding was way less social. I, I guess is the way to say it. Like there wasn't good Web two style tooling on the internet that right. facilitated that collaboration. And the people who made GitHub really understood the possibilities of using Git, even though everyone. Or just yesterday, I read a tweet thread about how Git is awful, and you know, like it is, uh, right? But um, it, it enabled workflows that just weren't possible before that, and the GitHub people really understood how to make the most of that. And Homebrew was probably the first project that really monopolized that. I had. Um, just such a seamless way for people to get involved with the project, to contribute to the project, to participate in the project using Git, GitHub, and your local clone, that it made this really enormous viral loop of uh, passionate contrib contribution. Like um, Homebrew is one of the biggest open source projects that's ever existed, and I, I'd be surprised if there's a bigger project in terms of how many unique contributors there's been right uh, and it's because it was gamified in the correct sense and it made a, a massive impact right at that point yeah i mean that's obviously quite the accomplishment and something that is is so interesting um to hear about and to speak with creators like you i'm sure that a lot of people in the community are very thankful for for what you've created and, and all the contributions, but I, I, I'm curious how that, like, what's the other side of that? Uh, you've already touched on it a little bit about how, you know, you don't get paid for that. Um, and I know you've talked before about like how the open source world in a way, um, how sometimes tech giants in a way can exploit these open source developers. Do you feel that there was like a missed opportunity here with such an amazing tool that you created by making it open source and not being able to make money off of it or or do you appreciate kind of the experience it gives you and um you know it definitely helps your your resume and just like boosts your um 
accountability when people are maybe looking at what you're doing now, but just curious your thoughts around that. Yeah, well, these good questions. Um, so like at the time, the, the idea of there being a way to make money with open source was extremely foreign, at least to me. Uh, I think it was to most people who worked in tech and did open source. You know, programming wasn't as lucrative profession, especially in Britain. Uh, it certainly wasn't cool. Like, it only became cool once the iPhone came out. <laughs> yeah. And then everyone was, like, wanting to make an app. Um, right. You know, that the iPhone really changed the whole landscape for all of us. And part of the reason Homebrew became, like, even more successful was just this influx of people wanting to dev. Um, but yeah, like the idea was difficult. Uh, the first time I heard of someone trying to make money with uh, open source was NPM, which, um, you know, obviously is huge nowadays, even bigger than homebrew. But well, is it because you need homebrew to install NPM? So, <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, they figured out a way to monetize it. And then, like a month later, I had a call come in from a VC. It was like, can we do something like this with homebrew? And I was like, um, I think it's too late. And it was honestly my impression at that point because homebrew at that point was already so dependent on the community that had evolved and turned up. And these were just like volunteers all over the place. And I didn't see a way that we could make a business model out of it without screwing the community. And the community was the most important part. Well, NPM did it quicker, I think. Um, but I don't know with hindsight, maybe, maybe you could have. Like, so it's not as though it didn't do anything for me, right? Like, I definitely got jobs and career opportunities and uh, speaking engagements, uh, like dozens of things. Like, my career was hugely boosted by making this thing. Um, so yeah, at the time, it wasn't something you could think of. Now, commercial open source has emerged over the years, and it's interesting to watch how that works. I do kind of feel that it's not true open source as someone who's been doing it half my life at this point. But yeah, so for me, it was, uh, I, I cycled between doing these full-time jobs, either contracts or interesting startups. Uh, I did a stint at Apple for a year, which was uh, definitely a mistake. It's not It's not my DNA to look <laughs> at such a huge company, for sure. That's fair. Um, yeah, like it works for some people, but uh, yeah, there's, there's lots of stories I could tell <laughs> working there. Um, but yeah, so I'd cycle between them because I wanted to work on open source. So I quit last time to work on homebrew um, and then ran out of money and then found another job. And this was something that I did a lot. Um, and in the end, I burned out slash brew was exactly what I intended to create. And I didn't see what else there was to do with it. So I wanted to move on to other things. And that was like 2015 or so. Um, but yeah, like, uh, in the years since always been trying to figure out how I can work on open source full time. It's just, it's, it's what I like to do. I right. love building open free software and I, I'm not like a hippie, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, like the, the GNU people from back in the day, you know, they, they kind of 
were the original open source people. You know, they they deeply believe in the the freedom aspect of these things, and that's never really been what appealed to me. I, I like working with other people, and I like when you make something, and random people show up, and you just start working on these things together. You know, and I, I have lots of different projects and lots of different things going on. And you you don't get that at companies, that right. kind of collaborative spirit of people just trying to make the best possible thing, like agenda-free, right? That's that's part of the thing I like about open source. Is that you're just trying to make whatever is the best tool for the job. There's no marketing department that are demanding that like a certain feature end up in it. There's no... Uh, so CEO at the top who like suddenly pivots what the whole company is doing and saying that you know, now now it has to be different. You're just trying to make what's great, and if it fits, it slots into this open source tower that exists and has existed for 20, 30 years at this point. Just these little bits of software that become indispensable and key, and then stack up, like hold the whole thing up. And since I made homebrew that you know that has become what the internet is built of but before that it wasn't always open source but we found in this web 2 transition that you can build on these really sometimes flaky but often super mature and very specialized but very good battle tested pieces of software and then you you, you save all this money and time and you get the benefit of something that's been used by millions that also if it's broken you you can fix right and uh yeah like that happened gradually and so now we have all this open source that holds the entire internet and the software industry up and yet still no one gets paid for this maintenance and i think the fact that it was a gradual transition is why it caught most of us who maintain these pieces of software that keep it all running that a bit by surprise. And uh, now we have all these companies that make a lot of money using our software. Right. And yet they don't contribute anything. They don't help like the, the people who are maintaining it to, to survive. And uh, yeah. It, it's no longer okay, I think, is the difference. Like, for, for a while, you could say it was okay. Um, the people making the open source, they knew what they were getting themselves into to a certain extent. They were like, yeah, yeah, I just, because everyone in it was doing the same. That's no longer really the case. So, yeah, um, I was always looking for a way to fix that for myself. And it was 18 months ago that I, came up with an idea for how to do it for everybody. Okay. That makes sense. And is that, then that now that's what you're doing now? That's what you're working on? Yeah. So I uh, started a company called T, which is in many ways the spiritual successor to Homebrew. And uh, I like the name because it's like, there, there was this tendency to be like boastful in the industry about drink when I made homebrew, which is part of the reason for the name. 
Oh, that's interesting. Well, I remember reading GitHub blog post where uh, they were sort of talking about how they had a tap on the office floor and you could go and get yourself a pint <laughs> whenever you felt like it. No, this was day-to-day -day thing. And so it feels like, you know, we've all matured. And so instead of it being about beer, it's now about tea. <laughs> it's a little more formal. I like it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so, how, yeah, how does tea work then? How does that, what's the process and, and how successful have you guys been so far? So yeah, the uh, concept behind tea is one I came to while looking into crypto tech. And uh, like many in the tech industry, I I was never that interested in crypto. It always seemed like it was just a place for oddness. <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't know if you've dabbled in any of this stuff or not. But... No, I think, yeah, myself and... Um... A lot of the developers at because I'm I'm at a startup HarperDB that I've been at for over four years and I there's a few people that get really passionate about crypto as like a side thing but yeah there's been so many ups and downs I've I've somewhat avoided it I would say <laughs> <laughs> yeah well I was exactly the same right like the the people I knew who were into it were just just a little bizarre in a way that and the, their passion was kind of scary <laughs> uh, so i had like one friend who was like super into it and his passion was kind of scary but i was in between work i'd uh finished up a contract and i was working on some open source and i was playing around with some ideas for maybe some like little uh, uh sasses i could build i was inspired by the people on twitter who were managing to do that kind of thing i was like well you know that suits me right but i wasn't really sure what i was doing so i was i was looking around at it and uh while i was looking i had this sort of moment of inspiration while playing around with digital contracts about how uh it, it was uh using open c and the the nfts on nfc open c and the digital contract meant that when I bought an NFT of someone else, 10% of that um, purchase price went to the original creator. And there was no way to work around that. Right? That was the digital contract on the blockchain. It just happened automatically. The need to involve a bank or a lawyer or uh, and uh, nobody could work around it unless they could figure out how to hack the digital contract, but assuming the digital contract was sound. And I was just like, wow, that's, it's awesome for a start. But I had this moment of inspiration later that day where I saw how I could put the whole package graph for all of open source on chain. And then if I could get some value to flow into that graph, it would flow through the whole thing. And that's the big problem with open source is that there is millions and millions of projects, 50, 100 million, probably. Now, not all of them are important, but many of them are, and many of the important ones are also relatively unknown. They're deep in this stack of importance. And every now and again, we hear about one of these projects like struggling. Like last year was Log4j, this logging library for Java. And there was a massive exploit that just hit everyone. All these enterprise companies suddenly had a root exploit in their, uh, their software. And... Log4j guys got a lot of abuse, honestly, and they said, okay, look, we're sorry about the bug, we'll fix it, but we're unpaid maintainers of this project, 
we're volunteers basically uh we you know if if we did receive funding then we could have like made sure that there was more security or we'd done a security audit on this project but we don't get any funding and you know they still don't as far as i know and recently like the uh, the guy who maintains core.js which is 10 billion downloads since its inception is insane and he, wow. just rage, he just rage quit he was like this is ridiculous uh i maintain some of the most important software on the internet like every every node app every javascript app this package is used and he doesn't get any funding right and uh, yeah, that's the problem. Like, if there is any funding, it goes to the top level, the projects people know about, and uh, not all the dependencies of the dependencies of the dependencies. And uh, they they're the ones holding everything up. But even then, funding is is like a charity. You have to beg for donations. I begged for donations for six months or so, and it was depressing how little I could get. Uh, so we're trying to build uh, an entirely new economy based on open source and built on code and it's the sort of thing you can only really do with crypto uh by we're creating a essentially a marketplace where open source projects can participate and their value is predefined based on their immense usage so all the speculators that crypto comes with will have this like enormous market that they can speculate upon and people who are interested in open source will just simply understand the value of open source. It's effectively like investing in that open source. You can put your money where your mouth is. You believe in these projects and you can participate in their success, right? In a monetary sense, even. Because with our protocol, which we've spent a long time now designing, because it's intricate and it's difficult and you've got to get it right. If you invest in these projects, uh, you get rewarded as well for their success, as well as those projects. So you, you get to pick and choose which ones based on like how well you understand open source and where, where the value is in that graph. So yeah, we're, we're very excited about what could be done there. Yeah. No, that sounds, it sounds very important and, and very interesting. I know that there's been several other tools I have tried to find a way to monetize some of this and find a way to get some of these, these creators paid. But as you said, a lot of times it ends up being like fundraising or, or asking for contributions or doing, you know, it, it's a lot more work. Whereas this sounds mm -hmm. like it's just going to streamline a lot of that and make it easier for all different parties to be involved. Yeah, absolutely. Like one aspect is for sure that it, it has a la layer of automation. Um, so companies that do make money with their open source, I, I kind of sympathize with the fact that they don't pay it back because you got 10,000, 20,000 projects you're using, right? Like, you know, average React app is two to 3,000 dependencies. How on earth do you fund that? Uh, so we add a certain layer of automation, you use T and T will tell you what you're using. So you can just funnel with, you know, digital contracts, like crypto is programmable money. Funnel, funnel that money to the places where it counts. 
which I also hope will make it so that there's a lot more pressure from the open source community, both the developers and the consumers of it, because now it's much easier, much, much easier for all these companies that are making money on top of this open source stack to allocate some funds in that direction. And it really doesn't have to be much. The example I always use is this other library I wrote called Promise Kit, which was this uh, promises library for iPhone. So it was a, a low level tool that was used by a lot of apps. In fact, at the peak, it was used by 100,000 apps on the iPhone app store, including McDonald's and Netflix and Uber and all these other apps that never <laughs> gave me anything or even a free Netflix subscription or a <laughs> Big Mac or anything. And, uh, you know, uh, at the time I was, when I was, this was when I was trying to beg for donations on Patreon. I was like, if I can get every one of those apps, just give me $1 a year, then I, I can live on, I can work for on open source for my job. Like it's not a great salary for a developer, but it's a start. You know, it would mean that I could start and then maybe make some more open source and maybe I could get some more money for it. and you know that because there's just no way for any of those apps to even know that i was asking for donations half the time uh it just couldn't happen but yeah so a dollar for a open source project for an app not too bad um let's say you got two to three thousand dependencies in your app that's three thousand dollars a year like that would fund open source it's, it's shocking like the it's the numbers the numbers just work that way so yeah, if we provide the right system, then we can fix this. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. That's that's awesome. And 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 what's the status so far? In like, is the product in beta? Are you? Do you have active users, or what's the best way for people to kind of check it out? Yeah. So there's been several phases to this project. So uh, there's three major components uh the package manager which is the successor to brew spiritual successor um, in many ways a complement to brew at least for now and we released that last november and uh got seven thousand stars on github about ten thousand users and uh the people who use it think it's great like i poured every idea i had after leaving the project through uh into tea and i think you know it represents really like the pinnacle of what that kind of tool could be and then uh recently we released the graphical complement the gui it's an app uh in in many ways it's an app store for open source and well, part of the plan is to uh present open source as kind of like a treasure trove of uh, an app store that nobody's seen before and so that's just getting started, but it's already like a beautiful piece of software that has limited utility currently, but we have plans to make it. So it's pretty great. Like I've started packaging up some of the more interesting AI tooling that exists only in open source. These things usually have to wait for ages for someone to put into a website or into an app in the on the iPhone app store or for someone to spend the time to wrap it in a dot app. So you can download it on your Mac or Windows. And uh, we're giving these people a, a place to have a marketplace already in advance of the protocol launch. And that's the third piece, which we haven't launched yet, but we are at the point where we're, we're building it. And 
I think the expectation is that we'll have a testnet live in two to three months. Uh, at that point, people can start participating, although testnet means that it's not real crypto, but it's exactly the same, right? It's just a copy, copy of the main network. Uh, sometimes they do actually uh, become valuable if people for some reason start trading with the, uh, the testnet coin. But that's not the point for us. Uh, the point is that it will uh, allow people to experiment with the protocol and see how it works and then onboard, onboard their open source projects. So that'll be coming later this year. Okay, got it. Well, that it sounds like you've made quick progress um, from when this project has started already. And obviously with things like this, there will be constant improvements and feedback from the community and things like that. But it sounds like it's already, you know, picked up traction quite quickly. And I've seen people talking about it on Twitter here and there. And so that's, that's super exciting. Clearly you're filling a, a void here that's much needed. Um, is there, so where's the best place, you know, for folks that are listening, if they have questions or anything, like should they connect on Twitter or is there a community or where's the best place to to go? Yeah, so um, I go to t.xyz, uh, which is our domain. It has the links to everything else. GitHub is uh, active and like it's a great place if you want to get involved in uh, contributing or just learn more about the project. We have a Discord as well. Um, and of course, the Twitter and everything's linked there. So that's where I'd go. Awesome. Well, this is really exciting. I'm, I'm, excited to kind of follow this and, and see where it goes. And um, I think that for anyone listening, they're going to, they're going to be very interested to jump in and, and check it out. I've had, you know, several folks on the podcast that talk about some of these common pains that, that you mentioned with open source. And it it's interesting. I, I can see why it's a space that you want to continue to be in, because I think that's where most of the passion is. I mean, to be able to have to work on something where you're not being compensated um up until now hopefully is it's obviously these developers are very passionate as you said just trying to create the best thing they can create and there's not really any other motive and so clearly that's a really really great space to be in and i'm sure um, has made it fun to to think of this idea and kind of build it out yeah well absolutely it really is i'm, I'm privileged that i'm able to work in what I really find passionate now, but you know, I had to figure out a way to raise eighteen million dollars in order to do that, and I'm trying to make it so that that is not a general requirement, right? And uh, exactly. you know, I think um, the people who work on open source passionately, like they want this opportunity to work on it full time, and I, I can only imagine what they might have been able to build if they'd had that chance all this all this time. And I hope that there's a new generation of developers who can choose to do open source full time instead of like getting on the, the career treadmill at the tech companies. Right? Honestly, I hope that a lot of people at tech companies will quit in order to work on open source because the salary will be as good, if not better. Yeah, uh, It seems an awful waste to me that so many people at some of these big tech companies spend their time like working on ad algorithms and like like algorithms and crap <laughs> like that it's just not a good use of anyone's talent <laughs> fair enough well yeah I mean it's it's definitely it will be interesting to see how quick 
the change might happen because as with anything in tech, like you look back a couple of years and it can be crazy. Um, I think that the tech industry is, is more light, more willing to have rapid change than really anywhere else. So, um, you know, uh, even a year from now, it'll be interesting to see where this goes. So, um, yeah, I, I really appreciate, I know we're kind of coming up on time here, but really appreciate you taking the time to chat, Max. I, I think that it was awesome to hear your story. And um, I think anyone listening will probably want to check out T because from everything you've said, it sounds like it's really fulfilling and important need. So really appreciate you taking the time and I'm excited to see where it goes. Right, well, thank you so much for having this time. Thanks for listening to Select Star, your resource for innovative technology and developer topics. You can find our episodes in all the usual places, Spotify, Apple, Google, RSS, and YouTube. Don't forget to rate, comment, subscribe, and share. You can learn more about HarperDB at harperdb.io.